You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 49, we'll stand in just a moment. Um, Who knew we could spend four weeks in one chapter? I mean, that's where we're at. Um, and yet, baby, you ought to be prepared. We might go five next week, um, and, and uh, you'll have to come back to find out. So we'll see. It's a little bit of a cliffhanger there. But um, Jacob has summoned his sons to come to him, and, and he's going to bless them before he dies. He starts with the oldest son, and then he moves down the line. Uh, but this blessing is different than the other uh, blessings that other people have experienced because this blessing is about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And God is going to, uh, has given Abraham this blessing and Abraham passed it to Isaac, Isaac passed it to Jacob. And Jacob is now passing this very important blessing onto his, his sons. And there are really two parts to it. There's a blessing and the birthright. The blessing has to do with the Messiah. The birthright is the inheritance that goes to the oldest son. And, uh, and so both of those things are in play right here. And so Jacob calls his sons, he's about to die, he calls his sons to himself, and he starts making these pronouncements about their future. He's not just giving out an inheritance, he's actually uh, making pronouncements about what will become of their family, what will become of their tribe. Each son will become a tribe as a part of Israel, and God gives Jacob insight into what will become of their family. So this isn't... This is not just a normal will. This is a a big moment uh, about God's plan for earth. And the interesting part here, really the sobering part, is that the choices of each son impact the future blessing of their families. I mean, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? That, That my choices today not only impact me, they'll impact my family for generations to come. And here's the overarching theme that we've looked at in different ways the last few weeks is this. Our choices today affect our blessings tomorrow. No matter what we try to say, we can get around it. We think, um, you know, I can throw a rock in a pond and this time it won't make any ripples. Well, that's not the way it works. Every choice that we make in life leaves a mark. Every choice we will answer for. You don't get to make choices in in a vacuum. Everything you do will come back either positively or negatively. It always leaves a mark. And that's what I would like to approach this text with that mindset today in Genesis 49 verse 1. So let's stand in Genesis 49 verse 1 and we'll read a good part of the, of the chapter today. So uh, if you need to stretch or warm up, go ahead and do that now. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be up for just a little bit. shouldn't take too long. Uh, But I want to give us the whole context. Verse 1, it says, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. So this is a future pronouncement. Gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. Israel's God's name that God gave to Jacob. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. But uh, here's what he says about Reuben, unstable is water. 
Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defiledst thou it, he went up to my couch. We'll talk about that briefly in a moment. Simeon and Levi, our brethren, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, under their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Not real positive for Simeon and Levi either. Here's the positive, real positive one, Judah. Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp or a young lion from the, from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. Nobody messes with an old confident lion is the idea there. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Here's the, here is the blessing, the pronouncement of the, the future of the Messiah that will come from Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal under the vine and his ass's colt under the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and clothes in the, in the, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with, red with wine and his teeth white with milk. We looked at Judah last week. This is just the idea that Jesus Christ will come from Judah's tribe. And he'll be blessed. He'll have abundance. We're not going to get into all of that again, but just understand that's what we looked at last week. Here we get to the rest of the brothers. Zebulun. Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens, and he saw that rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels, so that his rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and, his, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a hind let loose, he giveth goodly words. Joseph is a fruitful bough. And this is again a, a, a positive one here. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well um, he, whose branches run over the wall. Uh, the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow abode in strength. I mean, isn't that true about Joseph? He got shot at his whole life. I mean, figuratively speaking, he was, he was people came after him, his own brothers. And, and yet it says that uh, the, the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. God strengthened him. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy father who shall help thee, and by the Almighty who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors under the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph 
and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. And that passage right there might be the reason we go number five next week. Because there's so much there and we're not going to have time to look at it. Verse 27, Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil. Okay, last verse, you've done good. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel and this is it that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Every one according to his blessing, he blessed them. Now there's so much here. I mean really we could take a week for every, every son. But I want to look at this from a big picture perspective. See, Genesis is a book of types. And by that I mean it's, every story is pointing to a picture of something else, a spiritual truth of something else. This is a book of pictures. It's a picture book, Genesis is. And I believe that this account gives us a picture of when we stand before Jesus Christ. And we by ourselves will answer for the way that we've lived our lives. And my question to you, it's a sobering question, but one that we need to ask is, is this, are you ready when God calls your name? When God calls my name, will I be ready to stand before him? See, are you ready for that moment? And I'm not just talking about salvation, although that absolutely is important. But I mean as a Christian, if you're a child of God today, are you ready to stand there and answer for the way that you've lived your life? That's a sobering thought. Let's pray and ask God to help us to answer it. Father, we love you and I pray that you would speak to us in a special way this morning and help this sober thought, uh, not just to make us feel uh, desperate and hopeless, but help us to feel hopeful that we can make the choices that make the difference. And God, I pray that your grace would be extended to us today and that we would be able to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit's work through your word. God, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. May God bless the reading of his word. When I was a kid, I was probably about Jace's age, eight or nine years old, and my son. And and, uh, as a kid, I was getting ready. My dad had told me... um, about a week ahead of time, he had told me that we were going to go to a Texas Rangers game. I lived in Abilene, Texas at the time, and um, Nolan Ryan was pitching for the Rangers, and we wanted to go watch him pitch in real life. And so my dad, about a week before uh, the game, told me about it. I was so excited. I mean, just pumped up and ready to go. We were just a few hours from from uh, there, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and And I remember one day my uncle came uh, to the house and I was telling him about this trip that we were going to take to to watch the Texas Rangers play baseball. And I I said, I told my uncle, I said, I'm so excited. I can't wait to go. And my uncle, being the compassionate man that he was, he said, yeah, well, you're going to have to. Just like that. I can't wait to go. Well, you're going to have to wait. And I was like, man, that was a crushing thing to say, but... You know, some of the worst mistakes you can make for a kid is telling them about something too early. And even if parents ever make that mistake, you know, you think, okay, this is an exciting thing. Your birthday's coming up in a month. I'll just tell you right now, that's way too early to let them know their birthday's coming up. Because every day, they're going to say, how many more sleeps till my birthday? 
like 49, okay? We've got a ways to go. There's sometimes, you know, you can't tell kids too early about something. They'll ask about it every day. You also don't want to tell them too late because you want them to anticipate what's coming up. I would still say they'll err on the side of too late because the questions can be overwhelming. On the other hand, there are some things that are coming up or that we have scheduled or planned that you might dread. I mean, you don't look forward to a dentist's appointment like you look forward to going to a baseball game. Uh, I remember uh, I've been to the DMV or the driver's license testing place before and you walk in and there's a room full of people. Maybe this has happened to you and you go up to the little machine and you take a number and your number says 99 and you try to find a seat and you go sit down in your seat and you say, well, maybe they're in like in the 80s. And the person gets on and says, number three, number three, come to the desk. Oh, you got a long time to wait. Those are the kinds of things you, you know, some things you can't wait for. You don't want to wait for. Some things you don't want to happen. Some appointments you're not anticipating. Some meetings you're not looking forward to. And, and, but let me ask you, though, about the most important moment you will ever face. Because someday you have an appointment when you will stand before God by yourself and you will answer for your life. Are you ready for when God calls your name? See, I don't mean are you excited about the return of Christ. I mean, we would sing even uh, hymns about the return of Christ and we would say, amen, and Lord haste the day when my face shall be sighted. I get excited. I'm not talking about are you excited for the Lord to return. I mean, are you ready for the Lord to return? Because when Jesus Christ returns, it doesn't just mean there's going to be a happy reunion and it'll be a big party. No, uh, at his return, it will initiate a period of judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says he calls the thought of appearing before Jesus Christ. He calls it the terror of the Lord. He says we ought to persuade men knowing that the terror of the Lord is coming. That the return of Christ is something we should be excited about. It's also though something we ought to be ready for. Listen, the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. It could happen any day. There is nothing preventing Jesus Christ from returning. And, you know, people talk about signs and all these things. No, according to the scripture, Jesus Christ could come back today. He could come back during this message. And you and I today could find ourselves standing before our Savior. 1 Thessalonians 4 says that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I'm excited about that, but listen, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Because I believe then that that moment, which we call the rapture, and that word isn't in the Bible, but the idea certainly is in the Bible, in spite of what some people are trying to say today. The idea that Jesus Christ comes and brings us home to heaven uh, if we're saved, the children of God. But I believe that that moment initiates the tribulation. It's the 70th week of Daniel's writings in which the prophecy shifts where God shifts his, his focus from the church back to Israel. 
for those seven years. And halfway through those seven years, this person called the Antichrist will be revealed to the world. And and life will get very difficult, especially for those that are part of the nation of Israel. And we know that the tribulation, though, you can take heart in this, that the tribulation is not for God's people. It's not for the church. Jeremiah calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. And so people are afraid and preparing for that. But I believe if you read the Bible in a very logical way, then you would say that Jesus Christ is going to take us out of here before that period ever begins. At the end of that seven-year period, then uh, after the rapture, but before the thousand-year reign of Christ, that's at the end of the seven years, then Jesus Christ... Uh, at some point in that time, I believe that we as, as believers will stand before God and be judged for the works that we've done for Christ. Uh, let's turn, keep your place in Genesis 49 and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I just want you to see uh, just some details about what I believe this is going to look like. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we do know that we will stand before Jesus Christ and answer for our lives. And this is a passage that I believe talks about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 over in the New Testament beginning in verse 11. 1 Corinthians three eleven. It says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, if you build your life on anything less than Jesus Christ, you'll have a shaky life. The only foundation worth building on is Jesus Christ. He says, now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So just here's the idea, and we're going to talk about this more, but I believe we'll stand before God, and and if God is behind Jesus Christ, as the judge is behind the pulpit, maybe there's an altar right here, and we will stand right here, and our works... Our works for Christ will be placed on some sort of an altar. And that God then with fire will send fire down and he'll burn our works up on that altar. And once those works are burned up, then I don't know how it works. But I just imagine Jesus Christ comes and he looks in the altar and he starts sifting through it maybe with his finger. And he's looking for any of our works that remain. And if we've done the works that we've done for Jesus Christ, then he'll find gold and silver and precious stones because fire the fire won't burn those up. But if anything we've done has been done for ourselves or we haven't been motivated for Christ, it's been selfish or it hasn't been for the Lord, then there will be nothing there because wood, hay, and stubble just turns to ash in fire. Are you ready for that moment? Has your life been lived for God in such a way that you will have something to give back to God? Because according to Revelation 4, those 4 and 20 elders, whenever they receive their crowns, 
The implication is that they, it says, they turn and they cast their crowns at the throne of God. And listen, the rewards that you get from what you've li- for the way you've lived your life, I believe that we'll take those rewards and we'll give them right back to God as a way to glorify and praise Him. Can you imagine in that moment living your whole life having nothing to show for what you've done for God and having nothing to give Him in return because you didn't live your life for Jesus Christ? Then at the end of the tribulation period there in Revelation 19, then the Bible says Christ will return to earth and we will return with him. We'll, he'll bring the saints with him, the saved, which those who I believe have called on Jesus Christ by faith and, and, and will spend eternity in heaven. We will watch then as God sets things straight on earth. Jesus Christ will come and we'll ride down, the Bible says, on white horses and we'll have white linen raiment to signify the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we will watch as he takes the beast and false prophet and he throws them into the lake of fire. Then he takes Satan and he binds him for a thousand years. And at that point, Jesus Christ will establish his kingdom on earth. And those, the implication is that those who have been saved, those who place their faith in Christ, will enter into that millennial reign with Jesus Christ. And we will have positions of authority and positions perhaps of reigning with Jesus Christ. And it seems that those who are the most faithful seem to be given the highest positions of honor. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 states that the saints will judge the world. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 says the saints will sit on thrones and judge and reign with Jesus Christ. And you may think of it differently or have a different view of it. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But here's the picture I want you to get. Those who are the most faithful will have the most rewards at the judgment seat. Those who are most faithful will have the highest honor during Christ's kingdom. And in a nutshell, it comes down to this very simple truth. The most faithful will be the most blessed. The most faithful will be the most blessed. And I want you to keep that scene in mind as we go back to Genesis 49. Keep that scene in mind of standing before Jesus Christ at the judgment in mind. Admittedly, we don't have a lot of time to dive into the specifics of each verse and each son because I want you to have in mind the type. I want you to get the picture, the big picture that Moses is painting for the reader here. And what Jacob and his sons uh, do here gives us a glimpse into our future appointment with Jesus Christ. Jacob calls his sons to his bedside and he's laying there. I mean, just imagine this. He's laying there and he's about to die and and he's maybe struggling to breathe. And the Bible says that he can't see very clearly. We know that. He calls his sons to his side and he begins making these pronouncements, these blessings. And some sons are rewarded. Some sons are rebuked. But one thing we know for sure is that each son receives what they deserve. They get what they have earned. In other words, one brother doesn't answer for the other brother and a different brother doesn't answer for that one. No, when you stand before Jesus Christ, it will be what you have earned for him. It'll be you answering for your decisions and your choices. So just imagine then Jacob lying in bed and his his sons standing around him. 
And Jacob summarizes each of their lives by talking about their traits and their characteristics and their choices. He describes the kind of people they are, the kind of men that they are by the choices they've made. He makes it very clear that the way they have lived determines the kind of future their tribes will have. And in many ways, Jacob plays back scenes from their lives. If you can imagine, it's almost like Jacob takes a a scene from your life, for instance, and, and he plays it on a screen. I know they didn't have screens, but that's the idea. He's replaying these choices. He's replaying the scenes of these sons' life in front of each other. I mean, one by one, uh, each son takes a turn. And I want you to notice um, the three kinds of people, uh, the three types of sons uh, in Jacob's family. You've got the scolded sons. You've got the ones who, uh, we've looked at four sons to this point, and uh, of the first four that we've looked at, three were scolded. You've got Reuben, and Reuben was scolded. Do you remember what was Reuben scolded for? Lust. He was scolded for lust because he went into his father's bed, took his father's concubine, and and for 30 minutes of pleasure maybe, uh, he sacrificed, he forfeited all the blessings and the birthright that God would have given him through Jacob as the oldest son. He gave it all up. He was scolded. Simeon and Levi were scolded. Does anybody remember what they were scolded for? They were scolded for anger because they went into Shechem and they wiped out a whole city. Uh, and, and every man uh, that, was, that was there, they killed them because of the actions of just one man that, that assaulted their sister Dinah. And they went in and they wiped out a city, took those, those, uh, the women and the children captive as their own. And God said, because of your anger, I, he, uh, he said, I, you're forfeiting. Uh, the blessing and the birthright that it could have been yours because Reuben set his, aside, set his aside as well. And it could have been Simeon and Levi's, but because of their actions of anger, then they didn't get the blessing and the birthright. Can you imagine living your whole life with the hopes of Abraham's blessing only to find, it, find out that you forfeited it due to a moment of weakness, a moment of lust, a moment of anger? You lost it all. We probably all know people that have given up so much because of one moment of weakness, one act of lust, one moment of anger, and they lost everything because of it. And that's what happened to these first three sons. They were scolded. There's also another type of son that I see here, and these are the standouts. We already read last week about Judah, and, and Judah had made some terrible mistakes in his life, just like his older brothers. I mean, if you know the story of Judah, then you might say, well, he was just as bad as Reuben, Simeon, and Levi because of the things that he did. They weren't good. And, and yet God blesses him and gives him the blessing from Abraham that the Messiah will come through his family. You say, how can that be? Well, because Judah had a spirit of repentance uh, in his life. When he, when he blew it, he repented. And, and then he interceded for Joseph later, or for Benjamin later on. I mean, Judah turned his life around. And the, the hope, the idea there is that, yes, you, maybe you've made mistakes and you've blown it in your past. But that doesn't mean that God can't still bless you if you have a, re, a spirit of repentance. If you come to him humbly and you confess your sins and you say, I know what I've done and it's wrong and I don't want to do it anymore, then God will forgive you. And there's no reason that you can't have a life of blessing if you come to God in repentance. That's the first standout son that we see in this passage. 
The other real standout that we see is verses 23 through 26 down there with Joseph. And Joseph, we know he was a standout. I mean, he was a standout because with all of his, his struggles and challenges and terrible circumstances, Joseph never lost his faith. He, he still followed God. He obeyed God. He made a difference in the lives of the people around him. We have a standout in Judah and a standout in Joseph. But I believe there's a third category. And this is where I'd like to spend most of the rest of the time this morning. And I, you know, I just want to call these the so-so's. You know, the, the, it's kind of the average guys, the, the, the mediocre ones, the so-sos. See, what gets said of these other sons, it's not that bad. I mean, there's success here. I mean, you start looking at their lives and you think, well, it's not a bad thing to have said of you. I mean, look at verse 13. You've got Zebulun. It says that Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea and he shall be for an haven of ships and his border shall be unto Zidon. I mean, it's not a bad thing. He's going to live by the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, sounds pretty good to me. I mean, he's going to trade on the, on the sea. He's going to be successful probably as a, as a merchant. He's going to do something successful. That's not a bad thing. Being successful is not a bad thing. But I want you just to look at the verse and tell me where God is. I mean, do you see anything in that verse that says, you know, God really is going to help you become the kind of man you need to be. You're going to be a spiritual person. Well, to be, listen, to be successful is a good thing, but that doesn't mean that, that you're successful spiritually. I know a lot of people that are successful in life, but God's not really anywhere near their life. So Zebulun, he's successful, but I would say it's kind of still so-so. Look at verse 14, Issachar is a strong ass crouching uh, down between two burdens and he saw that rest was good and the land that it was pleasant and bowed his shoulders to bear, his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. Um, so rest is good. I mean, how many of you like power naps? Okay, nobody except me. Okay, do you like power naps? Okay, thank you. I figured there'd be a few more. Here's Issachar and he says rest is good. Me like naps. That's the Hebrew translation. He says the land is pleasant. But notice it says he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant and a tribute. You know what happens when, when you enjoy a little bit too much of a life of ease? You, you become a servant to it. And we don't know exactly what happened with Issachar in the end. But from this implication, it's not like it's all bad. He got to enjoy a life of rest and a life of ease. But in the end, it seems like it. Maybe ensnared him. You've got Dan in 16, which Dan, that Dan's the funny name. Dan just sounds like a dude that lives next door. I mean, but all these other Hebrew names, Dan. Okay, so Dan, so judges people as one of the tribes of Israel. That sounds good. Dan shall be a serpent by the way and adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his rider shall fall backward. I mean, there's going to be success uh, he'll be a judge. Uh, he'll have some success in battle. Maybe he's a sneaky guy. I imagine Dan might have been the short, the short brother, you know, who, who you know, everyone always underestimated, but you also didn't want to, like, really get on his bad side. Maybe that's Dan. And, you know, verse 18 sounds good. It says, I've waited for thy salvation, O Lord. And the implication there is if Dan really just trusts God, God's gonna, God could do some great things with Dan. That sounds positive until you read about the history 
of the tribe of Dan, we find out that Dan, like many of the other tribes, went into the, the promised land and never actually conquered their land completely. And they, they allowed people to stay that led them into idolatry. And Dan was one of the tribes of Israel that when Assyria came and took the, tri the nation of Israel captive back to Assyria, Dan was one of the tribes that were taken captive. And you know what? Dan disappeared as a tribe from the face of the earth because of it. You don't have anything else about Dan. So I would say Dan's certainly not a, a I don't know that he's not scolded. He's not a standout though. I'd say he's probably just a so-so. You've got Gad. Gad, it says a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. At some point, Gad's going to be overtaken. He's going to be raided and they're going to take over his land. But because he's resilient, he'll come back. It's a comeback story. And that's great, but I just want to ask, where's God? Uh, you, you keep going, you say, uh, out of Asher, his bread shall be fat and, and he shall yield royal dainties. I bet the other brothers snickered when Jacob said this one. Royal dainties. <laughs> no, but here's a guy, um, you know, Asher, it's, it sounds like he's going to make uh, um, uh, bread. He'll, make, he'll, make food. he'll have an abundance of food. He'll produce something that kings are going to want to eat. That's pretty good. That's successful. My question is, where is God? So-so. I mean, Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. He's going to be swift in action. He's going to deliver good messages. Um, but where is God? Joseph, we know about Joseph. I'm not even going to get into all that because we know Joseph. God is mentioned over and over in his blessing. And he receives the birthright as the, as, as in the place of the oldest son. Um, he receives the double portion. His sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, he receives the double portion as the oldest. Judah gets the blessing. We know that God is all over Joseph's life. But let's look down at Benjamin in verse 27. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the, that, in the morning he shall devour the prey. And at night he shall divide the spoil. I mean, that sounds good. He's going to be a warrior. Like a wolf. Not bad. You'll be successful. But in God's economy. You know, here's the point I want to get to today. Someday you're going to stand before God. And, and I'm just going to have, um, I just want to just have an example. I saw this at a men's retreat last year and I want to use it. Jacob, can you come be Jacob? You think you can handle that? Okay, if you could just sit on the top step right, right here in the middle. And this is Jacob, also known as Israel. You can just sit if you want there. Um, he's about to die, and he's blind, okay? So, uh, play the part. You can do this. And then we need some sons. We need some sons. You know what? Joseph. <laughs> Come on up here, Joseph. That works. You can stand right here. You know, we don't have an Asher, but we have an Ashton. Come on up here. Benjamin, come on up here. All right. Blessing. Okay, we don't have a blessing, but Joseph got lots of blessings. Come on up here, blessing. Sorry to do that to you. Okay, um, so you can come go stand at the end. Josh, Josh was a book of the Bible. You come on up here. Yep. <laughs> and we'll, we'll go Carter. Come on up here. Carter's always up for being up here. So you go, I'm, I don't know where Carter is in the Bible, but we'll figure it out. You can say at the end. So I just, want you, I just want you to imagine the process. Okay, the process that takes place. 
um, Jacob calls each son one by one to him. And he pronounces the blessing. You know, so, so he'll say, he'll say uh, Joseph, come up here and stand before your father, Jacob. Jacob reviews his life. And I'm telling you, this is a good one, right? And Jacob says, because of how you have chosen to live, you know what, Joseph, you're a standout. So Joseph then goes up onto the platform and he gets, and then Jacob says, next, you know, like you're at the DMV, okay? Next, Ashton, Asher, you know, uh, you, I don't, what did Asher do? I'm getting confused. Okay, Asher, Asher, oh, the royal dainties, okay? Can you <laughs> dance around for us? Oh, no, just kidding. Don't do that. Royal dainties. It's not bad. I mean, he had a successful Wonder Bread business, maybe. But where's God? I mean, he's not, he's not scolded, but he's not a standout. And in many ways, he's just kind of so-so. So you still get to go in. You just don't have the position that Joseph does. And then Benjamin. Well, let's, let's yeah, Benjamin comes along. And Benjamin, um, he's like a wolf. It's a good thing. Ben, he's a, this kid, he's a wolf. Like, if you've ever been around him, he's a wolf. Warrior. He's a warrior, but where's God. I mean, successful in life, but really just kind of so-so. You can enter, but there's not really a lot to bless you with. Blessing. We're going to say that blessing, this is, um, this is Simeon, okay? And Simeon, remember what happened to Simeon, he lost the blessing because of his anger. And so Jacob looks at Simeon and says, you know, you could have been next in line. But because of a moment of weakness... And your anger, then I have to pass over you because of your, your anger. He says, I still love you. You're still welcome. He said, but, but I have to scold you right here in front of everybody else. Come on in, but you're scolded. And, you know, and down the line, you guys can stay right there for now. Down the line, it goes. You know, and each brother, each son comes along and some are standouts. They did a lot for God. Some, though, are scolded. And some are so-sos. You know, and of all the three, the one I don't want to be, I don't want to be scolded. I don't want to stand there because I'm imagining I'm going to stand there in front of my wife and my kids. You know, the people I love the most and, and people in this room, and I don't want God to look at me and say, you know, he burns up my works and there's nothing to show. He says, I love you and come on in, but there's nothing to show. Just come in. That's it. Next. I don't want to be scolded for sure. I mean, obviously, I want to be a standout. I want God to look at me when I stand before him at the judgment seat. And I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because of how you've lived your life, you can enter into my kingdom in a blessed way. And you have lots of rewards. I mean, that's, that's what I want to hear him say. What I don't want is to stand before him and be scolded. But if you guys could come right back down here, then, then we're going to do it all over again, which is I know what you've always wanted. So, Carter, you can go to the front of the line since you missed the last appointment. See, I believe, I believe that uh, there will be people that are scolded before God. I'm imagining it's probably too many. 
and maybe it's some of us, that we're going to stand before God and, and, and he'll, uh, he'll, for this, can you stand behind the pulpit? Just don't finish my message for me, okay? And God, he's going to bring us before him and some of us are going to get scolded and God's going to bring fire down onto the altar. So just do your hands. There you go. Fire down on the altar. And then he's going to come around after it's done and sift through the ashes of our life and see if he can find anything in it that's, that's left. And when he doesn't, for those of us that are scolded, he's just going to say, you know, there's nothing to show. I gave you all of these resources. I gave you a life of blessing. I gave you talents. And yet there's no, you have nothing to give back to me. What, 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 what Jesus Christ will say, though, is, Carter, I still love you. You're still welcome into the kingdom. But you've got nothing to give back to me. And you're not really going to have a place of influence or authority in the kingdom either. You're still welcome. Come on in and go ahead. But really nothing to show. And then he says, next. So this, this one comes up and this represents some of our lives. And this is a standout. And Jacob, fire down from heaven, comes around and he sifts through the ashes of, of Ashton's life. And as he does, man, he finds reward after reward after reward. And he lifts them out of the fire because Ashton's a standout. He lived for God. He hands them to Ashton. And then guess what Ashton does? He casts them back at the feet of God. Bows down. Here you go. And then he enters the kingdom. I mean, that's the one I want, right? That's, that's, that's the one I want. But I would submit to you that most of us are going to be in the so-so category. Meaning, we're not necessarily going to be scolded because we live terrible lives. But we also won't be standouts because we didn't really do as much for God as we could have. And so, you know, we're going to come and stand before God uh, at the judgment. Go ahead. And then God's going to bring fire down, come around, sift through the ashes and maybe just find a couple of small pieces to give us. We'll hand them to us. We're going to take them, cast them back at his feet and bow. On, on our knees. On our knees. All the way down. Yeah, you, those are your knees. Yep. There you go. Bow. There you go. And then enter the kingdom. That was tough, wasn't it? You know, just a few pieces of, uh, just a few rewards. Uh, and, and it'll be something like, yeah, you were raised in church, but you, were com- you, you grew up and you were complacent about it towards your parents. And, and you had an, a spirit about it that didn't really, you know, you were raised in it, but it, you weren't really there all the way. And, and because of that, you have very little to show. You can enter the kingdom, but not much to give. Next. And one after one, the fire comes down. He comes around, he sifts through the ashes, he finds just a few small pieces, hands them to us, a few, few small pieces, hands them to us, casts them back at his feet, bows, says, I love you, you're welcome in the kingdom, enter in, but not much to show. Next, Josh Collins, 
He worked a good job, made a lot of money, retired early at 18. <laughs> but, but when he stands before God, he really, he worked to make money for his life and really had very little show as an impact for Jesus Christ. He brought very few people to church. He has no souls standing there with him, but at least he retired early. Well, no, that's a so-so because where is God in that? Few rewards, cast them back at his feet. He bows and then he enters the kingdom with very little to give back to his Savior. Blessing comes along. Blessing went to church all the time. Blessing, he's, I'm thankful for Blessing, okay? This is just, Blessing goes to church his whole life, man. He's on fire, people think, but he never really actually read his Bible or walked with God. So God says, you know, hey, we'll burn, the, burn your works. Comes around, man, you were in church a lot, and I'm thankful for that, but there's really just a couple of things in here that, that survive the fire. So he takes him out, gives him the blessing, blessing, casts them back at his feet, gets on his knees and bows, and God says, you can enter the kingdom, there's just not much to show. Next. And this is the process that will play out. I believe it'll be something like this. And you guys, thank you. I appreciate your willingness to come up and bow, Joseph. Good job. You know, we have to think about, we have to think about that moment while we're living these moments. Because when we stand before God and have very little to show, we're going to look back on the times that we skipped our Bible reading because we, slept, we wanted to sleep a little more and we're going to regret it. We're going to look back at the times that we were prompted to, to witness to the cashier, but we didn't out of fear and we're going to regret it. We're going to look back at our lives at the times that we could have made a difference at school or we could have said something at work and, and left a mark and had an impact. Or we're going to look back and say all the times I served in my ministry and yet I just woke up and went through the motions and didn't really depend on God to help me do it. We're going to look back at all of those times and we're going to regret uh, the times that we didn't do it for God, that we didn't do it for the right reasons. Listen, God deserves the faith of Joseph, a standout, not the fleshliness of Reuben. God deserves a Judah with repentant spirit, not an Asher with royal dainties. Why? Because he's a standout savior. If we had a so-so savior, we would be justified in living so-so lives. But he's a standout God. And for us to return to God in a way that is far below what he's given to us is a tragedy. Listen, when you stand before God, the kind of decisions that you're making right now, will you stand there and be scolded? Will you stand there and be a standout? Or are you going to stand there and be so-so? Let me just remind you of this. You get one shot at life. 
and you can be successful and you can make your money and you can live in a good neighborhood and you can be liked and you could be popular, you could be respected, you could be strong, you can be resilient. But if you live your life for yourself, you will be scolded in your most important moment. And if you live your life giving God the bare minimum, then you will have minimal blessings at your most important moment. But friend, if you by faith live for God above all else and you put him above people and above success and above the money and above the treasures and above the popularity and above the houses and the cars and you put God first. Listen, when you stand here at this moment, then you will have plenty to bow down with and place back at the feet of the one who loves you and gave his life for you. That's what he deserves but understand too this is there's this is different than the great white throne judgment at revelation 20 see those who have never entered into a relationship with jesus christ will stand before him in a different way and in that judgment you won't be judged for your works you see in this judgment right here we don't have to be judged for our sins because christ was already judged for our sins as a child of god he was already judged. He already paid for it. When we stand before God at the, great, at the judgment seat, we're just being judged for the works we did for Christ. And listen, there's going to be a lot of heartbreak, but it can't touch the heartbreak that will come at the great white throne judgment. See, when you, if you stand before God at the great white throne judgment, it means you never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You never accepted his payment for your sins. And when you stand there in Revelation 20, the Bible says you'll stand before God and he won't burn your works on an altar. No, he's going to look for your name in a book. The Lamb's book of life and he's going to look for your name and if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and he doesn't see your name, he says you are cast eternally into a lake of fire forever separated from me and you will be taken and forever separated in torment from God forever because you never received his payment for your sins on the cross of Calvary. That is what hold, that's what your future holds. Listen, you don't want to be standing at the great white throne judgment. Because when you're judged for your sins, you'll have nothing to pay for them with. Listen, Jesus Christ paid for your sins. He died on a cross for your sins. And he says, I offer to pay for them right now. If you would just by faith humble yourself before God, confess your sin, place your faith in him alone. You can walk out of here this morning and you'll never have to stand at the great white throne judgment. But back to the Christian. When you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, are you going to have a scolding? Is it going to be a mediocre so-so? Or are you going to be a standout? Listen, are you ready for the moment God calls your name? Do you want to be a standout? I do. Listen, not for you. Not to impress somebody else. I want to be a standout because I have a standout Savior. And he's done so much for me, the least I can do is do my very best for him. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. No, you have a say. See, today you can start making the choices that when you stand before God, you can be a standout. You just simply have to submit your life to God in, in obedience and trust him in every step along the way and say, I put you first no matter what. Listen, you can be a standout for God. 
And when you stand there at your most important appointment, you can hear him say the words all of us want to hear. What are those? Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little. I'm going to bless you in much is the idea. Anyone, any person in this room can hear those words because you can today choose to live a standout life for God. How I live here determines what kind of appointment I have there. So back to the question. Are you ready for the moment God calls your name? You've got a number. And you're hearing the numbers before you. And it's getting closer and it's getting closer. And listen, if you've lived a good life, you're going to be excited for the moment. But if you haven't lived a life for God, I'm telling you, you're going to be sweating. Your heart rate's going to be going fast. You're going to be dreading the moment you stand before him. But you don't have to. See, here's the great thing. Your future hasn't been determined yet. There's still time for you to turn it around and live a life for God. For those of you in here that aren't saved, listen, it's not too late for you either. And you might say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what kind of past I've lived. You don't know how bad I've been. Well, you should read some of the stories of Jacob's sons. Read about Judah. Read what he did. When you read what he did, you might say, okay, maybe there's hope for me. Read about David from the tribe of Judah. Read what he did. And when you read about what he did, you might say there's hope for me. Read about Peter and you might say there's hope for me. Read about Paul and you might say there's hope for me. There is hope for you. You don't have to die and spend eternity separated from God. You can be ready for this moment just like anybody else. Are you ready for the moment that God calls your name? Let's stand together. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Thank you for your attention this morning. I just want to ask a couple of questions and then we'll get into this invitation time. Do you know 100% for sure that you're on your way to heaven? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for heaven? If you have not, you are going to stand at the great white throne judgment and be separated from God forever. Listen, today's the day to place your faith in Jesus Christ if you don't know, listen, if you know for sure you're saved, would you just raise your hand and say, I know 100% for sure I'm on my way to heaven when I die. That's a blessing. To look around the room and see that. You can put your hands down. Is there anybody in here who would say, I'm not sure. And I want to take care of it because I don't want to stand there and, and have him not find my name in that book. You'd say, I don't know. Would you just raise your hand real quick and say, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I'm not sure. Would you just raise your hand? I'm looking around the room. Anybody here today that would say, I don't know that I'm saved. By your testimony, then you say, okay, I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Okay, are you ready for the moment that you stand before Christ and answer for your life? In other words, will you have, yeah, there'll be plenty of regrets, but is there something in your life you want to change? You need to change today so that that appointment goes better for you. Some area of your life you haven't surrendered, some sin in your life you haven't confessed, some, some thing in your life that you're holding on to that's preventing you from being what God wants you to be. Listen, when you stand before God in that moment, you will wish you could go back and change the things that we're talking about right now. 
If there's something in your life that you know needs to be changed, would you respond to this message today and get that right? Because what you choose to do today determines how much blessing you receive tomorrow. Father, thank you for working. I pray that you'd have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.